Welcome back to the Wednesday Bible Study and here on YouTube Live. If you're watching this, uh, if you're watching Archive, the archives have also made it back to YouTube after the Rick and Bubba show uh, got out of YouTube jail. So good to be back on YouTube. And for those of you that may be listening to us also on the podcast channel, uh, or you're listening to an audio archive, we're glad you're here. And hello to all the men that are in the room. Uh, that are back. Uh, a, new, a new year, our first Bible study of the new year. Uh, we were off on Christmas Day and New Year's Day. hope all of you had a great time away. I, I had a great one. I nearly died while we were gone. But, uh, but other than that, it was, it was a great trip. Uh, if you didn't hear that story, I'm happy to share that at a, at a later time. But glad to be here. Some things we need to know. Let's do a little bit of uh, house cleaning and then we'll jump into the message today. We are continuing with the Gospel of John. We're going to be in John chapter 10 today. Things you need to know. Uh, if you go to BurgessMinistries.com and look under events. You can also go to RickandBubba.com. Uh, I'll be headed to Missouri uh, Saturday, going up to First Baptist Church of Charleston. Uh, someone told me today I'll be near Sykeston, Missouri, which is where the restaurant Lambert's, uh, Lambert's was created. So I'm going to go there and let them throw rolls at me. So that'll be coming up in Missouri. But I'll be there for their men's event, speaking twice uh, this Saturday. They'll also have some other men there. They're going to have a panel. If you would like to be part of that, and you're going to be in that area, or that's your area, there in Cape Girardeau and Sykeston and Charleston, uh, just go to rickandbubba.com or burgessministries.com, look at events. It'll tell you what you need to do to be there. Uh, the 19th. Uh, I'll be at Olive Baptist Church uh, in Pensacola, Florida, uh, speaking at both morning services there. So if you're in the Pensacola area or you can be there, come join us. Uh, and then coming up at the end of the, of the month, uh, there is a situation involving two, two items. I'll be at one. I won't be at the other. First of all, at my home church, Shades Mountain, uh, is Man Church. Uh, it'll be our first one of 2020. Uh, it'll be at 6 o'clock. There's no ticket or anything for that. And uh, James Merritt will be there to deliver our message. Fantastic pastor, preacher, teacher. Uh, James and I have been talking. I thought I was going to be there until uh, my wife opened up the mail and uh, my face was on a picture of a state evangelism conference that I'll be speaking at in Mississippi. Uh, and I, I didn't think that was on the 26th of January as my wife held up the picture of me uh, on the pamphlet they sent out for the event. She said, let me guess, you booked this yourself. Uh, so... Uh, <laughs> So I did, and I, I, I got those dates confused. I thought I was actually speaking on, on a different day. Uh, but So I will, will not be there, but we invite you to be there. But for those of you in Meridian, Mississippi, uh, that are coming to that, and anybody uh, in the communities or surrounding communities can come. Michael Catt also will be speaking there, Johnny Hunt, uh, and I'll be kicking that off on that Sunday night, uh, January the 26th. Now, that's just January. If you want to look at the speaking events for the entire year, uh, they're all up there at BurgessMinistries.com under events or rickandbubba.com under uh, events as well. Two other items I want you to know about. Uh, starting in March, we'll be implementing the manchurch.com. It's our national, national uh, opportunity for churches or community groups. Uh, if you need help from us to start a men's ministry or to enhance the men's ministry you already have with curriculum, events, speakers, consultation, we'll help you any way we can. You can go to the manchurch.com now and you'll see the coming soon, but you can watch the trailer that kind of lays out what we're going to be doing, uh, and we're implementing churches already, ready to get that started. Uh, we'll be ready to plug and go uh, uh, the month of March, but if you want to go ahead and start talking to us now and get some, con uh, some consultation, ask some questions, whatever you need, uh, you can do that now, and you'll see that at themanchurch.com. Also, my wife, Sherry, we're coming up on January the 19th. Uh, that'll be 12 years ago that our youngest son went to heaven. You've heard me reference that many times uh, in the Bible study. And my wife, of course, has written the book, Bronner, A Journey to Understand. If you've never read it, I advise you to do so. But you may be somebody that says, I just really want the audio book. Well, the audio book has been finished and it will be out on audible.com. Uh, iTunes, wherever you get audiobooks, and that should be uh, available by January the 19th. So if you've all, and it, look, she went in and read it and went back in the studio, it is powerful. So, uh, so be looking for that wherever you get your audiobooks uh, on the weekend of January the 19th. So you're updated. Let's uh, do a prayer and we'll get started. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to, to dive into your word and thank you, Jesus, for being the good shepherd. Uh, Lord, help us to understand everything you're saying in your words today and help us to apply it to our lives and help us to continue to be growing into the people uh, that only you can make us. 
And may we, if we're going, you know, you're the author of a new beginning. A New Year's resolution that does not include Jesus is a complete waste of time. And may we today make a true change by submitting fully or maybe for the first time acknowledging that we need to be saved and repent of our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're at John chapter 10. If you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, uh, let's look at this and, and we'll start out with these words. They're in red. Uh, so here comes Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, he, um, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, uh, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. So let's take this analogy. Here is Jesus once again, you know. The sheep analogy is based on first century sheep farming. I, I learned a lot about shepherd and sheep uh, preparing for this lesson. And so I don't want you to get in your mind, maybe even the way we understand how sheep are handled uh, in the West and in this century. Th th this analogy he's talking to is the way things were done then with shepherd and, and sheep. Uh, we see by this analogy, he's talking about, like in most of the first century sheep farming, the sheep are in some sort of enclosure. Uh, family farms, what they did, they, they, they hired something that was called an under-shepherd. This is not the shepherd, but they, they called him an under-shepherd. Uh, a, a more, it's more of like a watchman or a guard who guards the gate to the enclosure where the sheep are kept. The sheep, of course, are, are of great value, but as we know, Jesus uses the analogy uh, of sheep for us because sheep are pretty helpless. I, I heard somebody make an analogy once. I used to say that sheep were dumb, but I actually had a sheep farmer correct me. He said, sheep are not dumb, they're just helpless. He said, that's not the same thing. And what he means is they just can't function without help. Does that sound familiar at all? But it doesn't mean they lack any kind of intelligence. It just means they can't function. He said, for instance, they roll over because the way they're made, they can't get back up. I mean, they, 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 they need, if they get on their back, they can't get up. They're just, they're just helpless creatures, which is why they always needed a shepherd. So anyway, so what he's talking about, about this watchman that's guarding the gate, what this person would do is that this person would not let anybody get to the sheep unless it was the shepherd that he recognized. Because the shepherd didn't stay with them. The watchman did. And then the shepherd would come back in first century sheep farming and say, okay, I got to get them to pasture. I got to get them to water. I'm ready to go. But nobody could get in that gate, through the gate, unless they were recognized by the watchman. So if you're a stranger, you're a robber, you're, you're a thief, you wouldn't come to the gate. Because why? I mean, that's idiotic. If, you, if you're not the shepherd, then you know that the watchman, the under-shepherd, the, the gateman, he's not going to let you in because he immediately recognizes you're not the shepherd. So then you, you would attempt to get in another way. Sheep also recognize the shepherd's voice and they follow him. A stranger, they will not. And Jesus is making this analogy. You know, I, this is one of the things that we, I, I was cautioned when going through uh, some of this, uh, this commentary just about sheeps and shepherd to be sure that we understand Jesus' analogy. Some of it's pretty straightforward, but some of it you need to know kind of how they did it. He said, don't get in your mind that, that today what we do with dogs and with people is we drive sheep. He said, they didn't drive sheep in the first century. They led sheep, which is why Jesus is using this analogy. And the sheep literally knew the voice of their shepherd who protected them, who fed them, who got them water, who laid them down, Psalms, 23rd Psalm, uh, and, and they were calm because they knew the voice of their shepherd. If it wasn't their shepherd, they wouldn't follow him because they were afraid. So Ezekiel actually talked about this as well, and if these people standing around, they were pretty familiar with what the prophet Ezekiel had said, and if you, if you want to make a note of this, you can go read it in detail 
Ezekiel 34. For time, I won't go through all of it. But you see that in Ezekiel 34, God himself is berating the shepherds of Israel. He's taking the religious leaders of Israel and he's saying, you're bad shepherds. Uh, you, you are not shepherding my people. Uh, you, you have ruled them harshly and brutally. You'll see this in Ezekiel 34. God insists that they are his sheep. The Lord said that he will rescue his flock. He'll bring them out of the nations where these religious leaders have, got, have, have, have allowed them to be taken slaves. He will pasture them. He himself will tend to his sheep. He will bind up the injured and he will strengthen the weak. So when they hear Jesus saying this, remember what the Gospel of John is all about. The Gospel of John, the, the, the main part of it is, is like we said, of, of all, all the Gospels have their roles, but the, the main role of the Gospel of John is, here is Jesus. Here he is. He, he is 100% man and he is 100% God. So this is just, again, Jesus saying, Ezekiel used this analogy about who? About God. And I just told you, and I'm about to tell you in greater detail, I'm the shepherd. And remember what God said, that he would shepherd his own people. He would. So this is another analogy that Jesus is using to say, I am God. This is what Ezekiel was talking about. God has come to his sheep to shepherd them himself. Everybody with me? Because I love that. All right, so then I start thinking about this. And I know this is frustrating y'all to something when I keep going forward in the book of John, but I'm going to do it again. <laughs> so here's Jesus in John 21, and y'all know this, man. If, if this, this reconciliation to Peter doesn't move you, then, you know, you, there's something wrong with you. What is it, what, what is it uh, that, that my uncles and everybody says, you know, if this didn't fire you up, your wood's wet? You know what I mean? So, so we know that Peter denied Jesus by, by stepping out. You know, Jesus didn't know, I mean, Peter didn't know the full deal. He starts making all these declarations that he's going to die for Jesus, and Jesus knows he's not going to, not this time. Now, he will later, but not here, okay? And so he betrays Jesus, and then, you know, you see where we go through the Gospels, and you see in Mark, where Mark, you know, interviewing Peter, says that Jesus actually told the women, go tell Peter and the others that I'm back. <laughs> I have risen. Well, why is, why is Peter being singled out? Well, he denied Jesus. Look, everybody's excited, right, if you start thinking about, oh, good, Jesus has risen from the dead. Like he said, he's back. He's really not dead. But what about Peter? W what would you think if the last encounter you and I had, you were extremely negative to me, and I got killed mainly because one of the reasons is you wouldn't go with me. You might not have kept me from being killed, but you abandoned me. Matter of fact... Old Rick, in the old days, I had a guy abandon me at a fight one time, and I've never forgotten it. Now, I've forgiven him, but I hadn't forgotten it. And so I met him, like, in the last two years of my life. And so he comes over, introduces himself, he's talking to me. I'm, I'm 54 years old. We're talking, he walks away, I said, I said, God abandoned me in 1983. And Sherry says, What? I said, I was in a bind, and I looked, of course, I'd gotten myself in the bind, and I looked up, and I said, I saw him peek around the corner of a building, and he did one of these moves and went back, and he left me. And she goes, please tell me you're not still thinking about that in 2017. And I said, absolutely I am. I said, I, I said, I said watch this right here. I text a friend of mine that was my roommate in college. I said, watch this. Hey, just met, not going to say his name, so-and-so. That's all I hit. I said, watch this. You see it spinning? You see those three little things? Somebody's about to come back. What, you talking about the one that left you when you was in a fight? <laughs> and I said, I said, yeah, and I, and I said, I said, so we don't forget that kind of stuff. Okay, I do forgive the guy, and I was cordial to him and all that. I, I do. Now, would I go in another fight with him? No. Okay, but, but, but what I'm saying is, I don't hold that against him, but let's say in that instance I had been killed in that fight, and then all of a sudden somebody goes up to him and they say, hey, man, we're excited. Rick didn't die. What? He didn't die, and he's coming to see you. <laughs> now, how's that feel? 
you don't know, you don't know really, hey, wait a minute. You know, so, so, so this beautiful moment, talking about the shepherd, I, I, I don't need to keep chasing this rabbit. I'll do a whole message on Peter and Jesus. But I wanted to get to this point. So when Jesus comes back, now he's got the 40 days where he's discipling them and getting ready to go. And we know about him cooking the fish. He calls them off. Peter jumps in the water. He swims to him. It's this beautiful thing. And he sits down and he says to Peter, what? Do you love me? Now remember, three times Peter denied him. So one time, do you love me? What's Peter say? Yes. Feed my, feed my sheep. Or first, feed my lambs. And then the second time, he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Now here's two. Well, then feed my sheep. And then he asked him the third time. I'm sorry, tend my sheep. Then the third time he says, do you love me? And then now Peter's getting frustrated. Why do you keep asking me this? One, two, three. You know everything. You know a man's heart. You know that I love you. Well, then feed my sheep. So what is he saying? The shepherd's going to go, and guess who the shepherds are now? Us. Shepherd them. Tend to my sheep, feed my lambs, and feed my sheep. What are, we, what are we supposed to feed them with? Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? So let me ask you, as I ask myself, you doing any shepherding? Because Jesus said those of us that love him, John 14, 15, say I'll go again, we will obey him. And so when he said to Peter, I, the shepherd, am about to go, do you love me? Yes, I do. And then he says, okay, good. That's all I want to know. You know what he said? Well, then show me. Not to earn salvation, but because of salvation. Jesus, we love you. Feed my sheep. Jesus, we love you. Tend to my sheep. Jesus, we love you. Feed my lambs. So are we doing that? Because that's exactly what he told us to do. Yes, Jesus will reconcile with us. Yes, praise the Lord for that. You know? And it'd be like, you know, uh, if I reconciled to this guy, which I have, but let's say it was something more personal. We knew each other a little more. Hey, Rick, I'm sorry I did that to you. Okay, then. Why don't you, go to, why don't you start being part of our men's ministry? What? So you say no hard feelings? No. Well, then good. Go, look, won't you join me in what I'm doing? Well, I don't, I don't love you that much. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, so, so there actually is, there actually is Jesus making, well then, and see, that's the part I think is missing. This is, this is that grace abuse that's going on. I got this new song that I, I got to hear at Chris Tomlin's Christmas concert. It's, it's a group called We Are the Kingdom or We the Kingdom. And, and there's a line in there I've never heard anybody singing in a praise song. And Sherry looks at me the minute they sing it, and she says, they just won you over. Because you know what they sing? I don't want to abuse your grace. I don't want to abuse your grace. And Sherry says, and there is your new favorite song. <laughs> because I've been a grace abuser. I'm not being sanctimonious or self-righteous about that. I've been a grace abuser. Hey, Jesus is going to forgive me no matter what I've done. Well, yeah, if I repent, that's true. But, but so what he's saying then is now shepherd the sheep, just as I have given you the example. The shepherds of Jesus' day used their voices to lead the sheep. They did not drive the sheep. And I had to listen to that one pretty, pretty long and hard. Be a voice that the people want to follow. You don't have to drive them. Be somebody they can trust. Let them see that you actually will lead them to a correct way. Verse 6. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, what is, what, what, why is John letting us know this? Well, first of all, he's saying he's not just explaining this is a figure of speech because we know that. Right? We know that Jesus is not literally a shepherd of, of animals or sheep. We know this is an analogy. He's letting you know that when he said this to the people, they didn't receive it. See, remember, their attitude with Jesus is not, we want you to confirm who you are. Their attitude always was, what can we do to have an indictment against you? We, we, don't, we don't accept this. And so every little analogy you're doing for those of us that won't believe in you, we just see it as another way to try to get you. It was an indictment on the people. They don't understand because, you know why they don't understand? You ready for this? They're not a sheep. 
They're not, they haven't acknowledged him as shepherd. They reject him. So, of course, they don't understand what he's talking about because they're not, they're not hearing the voice of the shepherd. They're rejecting the shepherd. They only want to use anything he said uh, 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 to them, not to embrace him, but to reject him. Anybody ever been there? Do you know why I didn't go to church during my years of debauchery? Because I knew what they were going to say. I wasn't an idiot to the gospel. I was not an unreached people group. I'd heard the gospel my whole life. From my grandmother, from my parents, people in my community, fellowship of Christian this. So I was not a person that did not know what was going to be said. I knew what was going to be said. I'd heard what was going to be said. But you know what I did? I did not embrace it. I rejected it. So what I did is I didn't want anything to do with that. You know when it started changing me? When I came with a heart that says, now I desire to change. You know when I began to follow the shepherd? When I made him the shepherd. When I submitted to his authority and I submitted my life to him and I gave him not just my sin, but I gave him my life. And at that point, I'm, I mean, supernaturally, I could hear the shepherd. Preaching sounded a whole lot different to me now. You know why? Because I wasn't rejecting it. I was receiving it. That, that's a whole different animal. Verse 7. I know I said animal. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, this is an important shift. He just told us he was a shepherd. Now he's the door. This is an important shift. Oh, boy, here we go. Y'all ready to get deep now? This is one of those things you'll be riding away from here in your head going, now let me, let me say that to myself again. Jesus now isn't just the shepherd who goes through the gate. He is the gate. Whoa! I mean, now I'm going to be the shepherd and I'm going to go through the gate. But guess what? The gate that I'm going through is the shepherd. I'm the very gate. There's no other way to get to the sheep. I mean, I took this and went back and started reading this over and over again. I'm like, all right, come on. Jesus, you're just trying to use another analogy. What, what are you doing here? But listen to this. It gets better. So here we go to eight. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. Now, let's clarify. He's not saying that everybody in the Bible that came before him is a thief and a robber. That's not what he's talking about because then we got a problem then. Abraham's a thief? Moses is a thief? No. He's saying other messianic people before me have come to the sheep trying to declare they're me, but they're not. This is not talking about the men of the Bible. He's talking about other people who claim to be Messiah. You, you know, he, John the Baptist had to deal with this. But they were constantly having to deal with false prophets and false teachers. You know why? The adversary is trying to stop this. The adversary always wants us to follow something else other than Jesus. But he's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent like the God we serve. So he's just got to throw up haymakers. I mean, really, if you want a basketball analogy, Satan's just throwing up threes. If you want to do a football analogy, he's just throwing to the end zone, see if he can come down with one. He didn't know what's going on. He didn't know the future. But he knows enough that he's always trying to get us to follow another shepherd. Because you know what? He knows the way we were made as sheep. We're always looking for a shepherd. And we turn it into our careers. We turn it into sex. We turn it into drugs. We turn it into alcohol. We turn it into our sports team. We turn it into our hobbies. You know what? We turn it into our children. And see, all, you know why that happens? Because that's the way we're made. But what Jesus is saying, if you ever want to get the rest of this stuff right, not drugs, alcohol, and sex, well, even sex, yes, but not drugs and alcohol, you then shift to make me the shepherd, and once I'm the shepherd and I put in my proper place, then these other things that my Father has given you will be in their proper place. And so Satan is always trying to send us, and he still does. He still does. Let me say it again. He still does. Just because somebody's got some title and somebody's standing up in some pulpit, you better be listening for the voice of the shepherd. And if you haven't made Jesus the shepherd, you're going to get fooled. Because there's all kinds of people out there vying to be the shepherd. And this had been happening before Jesus came as well. So Jesus wants to clarify that. So now verse 9 and 10, let's look at this. 
This is really, here I go again. This is really John 14, 6 again. Look at 9 and 10. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 14, 6. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the gate. There are no, there are no other gates. Yes, I'm the shepherd, but I am also the gate. Jesus is saying that not only is he the shepherd and the gate, he, he, he is the shepherd and the gate at the same time. And if you try to go with any other shepherd and that shepherd takes you through any other gate, you know what you're going to? Eternal damnation. Now the thief has fooled you and he's come to kill, steal, and destroy you. But I've come to give you life and I come to give you life abundantly. This is not the world's definition of life abundantly. Man, this verse gets misused. Um, you know what life abundantly is? Look at me. You're not going to hell. You and I deserve hell. And because of the shepherd, with his voice, guided us to the gate, him, and redeemed us, now instead of us having eternal death, we now have abundant life. You know why? Because my biggest problem has been solved. No matter what you do to me, no matter what the world throws at me, no matter what happens in my fallen state and in this fallen world, you know what? Jesus Christ has redeemed me, so I have life and I have it abundantly. I'm at peace. What are you going to do to me? What did Paul say? We're going to kill you. Good. I'll just be with Jesus. I mean, I don't want to be you know, with these wars and stuff going on. And, and certainly, it, it, in the will of God... Somebody was saying, well, you know, even we go when this nation to nation starts, you have to think about there's, there's Christians in some of these places. That's true. That's true. And they're living under persecution. And they love Jesus and Jesus is enough. And if, an, if some tyrannical leader leads their nation into war and they get killed, they're with Jesus. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Hey, Rick, if you keep talking like this, there may come a day somebody might kill you. That's fine. You know, you know what a lot of times the world needs to fear about martyred Christians? Their fear really shouldn't be that we may live. Their fear should be that we might die. Because when, when we start keep dying for the faith, you know what people keep saying? Man, that must be something to that. It's one of the reasons why I started, uh, one of the biggest counters I've ever had to the Word of God of people saying, well, I just don't believe that you can say this has been inspired by God. I said, really? There are religions out there that people are deceived. And people will die for a lie. They will. But let me tell you what I won't ever die of, and I don't think these men would die, something they knew wasn't true. Hey, this Jesus thing rose from the dead, the cross... You're still with Jesus? Absolutely, I'm with Jesus. Then we're going to kill you. If I know that's fake, if I know we've been just making this up, I ain't dying for it. Like I say, you may die for a lie that you don't know about, a truth that really isn't true, but there's no way that any of us are going to die for something we know is not true. That's where, that's where the lie ends when you come to kill me. All right, we're going to kill you if you don't tell us the truth. And I know that what I'm saying is not true. Guess when you just got the truth? You got it now because I ain't dying for it. But now I'll die for the truth, though. I'll die for what I know is the most important thing, and I know it's true. Hey, I, the, these men saw him. They were taught by him. They saw him alive. They saw him crucified, and they saw him alive after, it was, after he had been crucified. They saw it. And when they received the Holy Spirit after that, you couldn't do anything with them. They celebrated it. They celebrated it. When they said, finally, we're so committed to the shepherd, they started to treat us like they did him. They didn't say, he must have abandoned us. You know what they said? He told us about this. He was our shepherd. We knew. We, he said it. We were like sheep that he was leading to slaughter. He was right. So that's the attitude that we must, we must, we must take and we must, we must consume. 
Number uh, verse 11. And this is important for us too. Look at 11. If I can find 11. 10, 15, oh, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, the reason why he is saying that, you, you have to understand, you, you've probably heard this, and I, I know that it usually gets alluded to most every Christmas, not all the time, of us understanding why the good news came to shepherds first. The reason why that's so important is shepherds were not good people. Nobody said, I tell you, I hope my son grows up to be a shepherd. <laughs> not, not only, see, don't get in your mind, this is where I've learned this even recently. I had in my mind, I got it, they're poor, it's not a great job. No, no, it's, it's bigger than that. They were bad people. They were seedy people. You, you didn't, you know, literally, we'd be sitting here, if we were all out somewhere, go, oh, careful, heads up, shepherds just came in. Now, this is going to be trouble. They were bad guys, usually. And so what Jesus is wanting us to know is that he is not the typical shepherd. He's saying, I am a noble shepherd, and here's why. Most shepherds of that day were just hired hands, and it was rare that you can get a hired hand to die for your sheep. I mean, it's just my job. You ever, you ever, I don't want to throw him on the bus here. It doesn't take long for me to know when I go somewhere that I'm being served this person has no vested interest in this company. <laughs> okay, I'm collecting a check. If, if you're not treated well today, ha! And I'll tell you one thing. I remember this. I remember when I worked at the car wash. They gave us this whole deal on what to do if somebody holds this place up. I said, I got news for you. I ain't dying for your car wash. <laughs> if they come in here and want your money, I'm giving it to them. Okay, you know why? It ain't my car wash. I'm not going to die for, for something that's not mine. And so most of these shepherds, they do the job, but if it got down to them or the sheep, they would abandon the sheep. And he said, but I'm not that kind of shepherd. He says, he says you know, even if a shepherd, I love this one. I read this one commentary. This is something that um, I think it was Carson, but I love this. He said, many times if you look at the historical documents, even when a shepherd died for the sheep, he didn't mean to. He, did, he just died in the process of trying to get away from something. You know what I mean? It wasn't like he went, kill me, not the sheep. He got killed trying to get away. You know what I mean? Whatever killed the sheep killed him too. And uh, he said, but the good shepherd, this is good, the good shepherd, the noble shepherd, Jesus Christ says, I willingly lay down my life for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. Do you belong to the good shepherd? I mean, the good shepherd says, I'm going to lay down my life for you. I will die for the sheep. Why would he die for the sheep? They're his. He's not a hired hand. The father didn't send a hired hand to come get us. The father sent himself. If you see me, you've seen the father. I'm the father's mouthpiece. I am the father. We are one. You are my sheep, and I'll die for you and I willingly lay it down. Why did he have to willingly lay it down? Well, because I, I don't know how to break this to you. We're not so wonderful that that just would naturally happen. Mm -hmm. These wonderful people, let me lay down my life for these wonderful people. I uncontrollably want to die for y'all because y'all are so fabulous. No, I willingly do it because you need me to die for you. You got no hope if I won't die for you. I have to willingly say I'm going to die for you. And I'm even going to check in with the Father right before I do it and find out if there's another way to do it. But, but, I, but His will is going to be done because I am representing the Father. I am here to do the will of the Father, and that means I will lay down my life for the sheep. I'm a good shepherd. I'm not a seedy shepherd. Look what he says in 12 and 13, the other end of the spectrum. He who is a hired hand... And, and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So Jesus just said the very same thing we just said. That's the difference between me and other shepherds. And, 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 I, and that's the thing you have to look out too is we have to say to ourselves 
as we look at Jesus as the perfect shepherd, we have to also say as we take the role of the shepherd watching his example, now the wife, if you're married, and the children, if you have them, and the people that we are responsible for, including the lost people around us as well, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we that kind of shepherd? You know, one of the things we've been doing with this men's ministry and going to continue to do is we're focusing on, on discipling the men from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. First of all, we want to get to the man if he's lost, uh, get, get him reconciled to, to God through Christ, and then we grow him because we see that Scripture and Jesus keeps telling us over and over and over, if Satan can get the man, then he, he ramsacks the house. He ramsacks the church. He, ran, he ransacks the, the society. So why wouldn't we make sure that that, that influence and that protection, that, that follower of Jesus who's trying to, 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 to be like Jesus, why can't we teach this guy to have that same attitude? Through the power of Jesus. But he says, if it's just a hired hand, and see what we got, we got a lot of husbands and we got a lot of, of fathers that just treat their wife and treat their family like they're a hired hand. And if trouble shows up, I'm out. I'm out. Let the wolf come in here and ramsack y'all. I, I got to go. And see, that's the problem that we have when we start doing these subtle things involving males and doing these subtle things involving any Christian, if we do not teach the Christian and we do not teach the male who is also a Christian, if we don't teach the people of God to be able to persevere under persecution, they can't handle it. Well, what's going to happen to the Western church when persecution really comes? Well, it don't have to be that way. But I mean, are we going to follow the good shepherd and say we know exactly what to do? Are we going to scatter and flee like a hired hand and let the wolf just come in and devour the church? Let the wolf come in and devour my family? And see, th this, this is why this is important. And this is why, once again, we see that Jesus says this is the difference between a bad shepherd and a good shepherd. We see why he is different, but we also got to look at ourselves and why we're expected to be different as well. Verse 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. The relationship between those who acknowledge and know Jesus as Messiah, have the same intimacy as the Father has with the Son. Woo! How about that? So what he's saying is, let me tell you what's so great about the shepherd. I'm going to give you the ability. I mean, this is the great I am. At, at our church this past Sunday, it, it was Isaiah 6. And, and one of the points that was made in this message is, and you've heard us talk about that in here on and on for four years, God can't change being holy. It can't change it. That, that's who he is. I've had people do this before where they start saying, well, I just wish God, I don't know why God just can't decide since he's God, why can't he just decide that he just forgives everybody and why are we going through all this? He's holy. God cannot say, I now will not be who I am. I'm holy. I can't, there's nothing we can do about my holiness. And, and I like what, what Jacob, who was, who was the one who brought the message, not only is his holiness what it, is what's going to bring justice or judgment on sin. It's his very holiness that brought redemption. You know why? I'm holy. i got to do something. If I can't come up with a plan of redemption because of my holiness, then all that's going to be left is my condemnation because I'm holy and I must condemn sin. But Jesus said, I've come to get the sheep and my relationship with the Father, I'll lay down my life for the sheep and we will have the relationship that is so intimate, you'll have a relationship with me just like I have with the Father. Wow. That's why he says I give you life abundantly. We have access to the Father. Which, which I love that and that's one of the things Jacob said in Isaiah 6. Uh, who, who preached this last Sunday at my church. 
God is the only thing that the Bible ever says, holy, holy, holy. You'll find things that are holy and you'll find things that are holy, holy. But you only find one thing that is holy, holy, holy. And that's God. That's the Father. And there's nothing he can do about it. He can't cease to be holy. Which is why we need the shepherd to come and guide us to redemption and then into the relationship with our holy God. Verse 16 is pretty straightforward. Not very popular in, in the culture, but good news for anybody here not a Gentile. Okay? Good news for everybody in this room then. So here's what Jesus says. There, there's, believe it or not, there's bigger benefits to being a Gentile than just being able to eat dreamland ribs. So, so listen to this. No offense to our Jewish brothers and sisters. I have other sheep, and they are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is the church. The Gentiles are coming too. See, I'm the shepherd to them too. Now, they're not in this flock, because he's addressing the Jewish people here. They're not in this flock. But because I'm the shepherd, I'm going to go out and I'm going to shepherd the Gentiles and I'm going I'm to shepherd the Jews and I'm going to bring them all together under my authority and under my redemption because no matter who you are, Jew or Gentile, the Bible is clear, we're equal at the foot of the cross in need of redemption. Is our relationship as far as our, our background and our lineage the same as Jewish people? No. Is our redemption under Jesus Christ equal with them? Yes. Do they need redemption just like we do? Yes. Are, they, are we the original chosen people, Gentiles? No. Do they have a special relationship with God that we don't have? Yes. And, you know, we're warned about that. Hey, look, let me tell you something. If, if he'll take them and cast them away without redemption, he'll cast the Gentiles away a lot easier. Because we didn't have the relationship with him that they once had. But now the shepherd says, I'm coming out. Just the 12th day of Christmas, this is when Jesus said, appeared to the Gentiles. I now will bring the Gentiles and I will bring the Jews two flocks and I'm going to come them together and they're going to be one flock. And guess what that's going to be? The church age. There's the church. And you see, when we went through the book of Acts, that didn't go very smooth. But they, but, 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 and it's still sometimes it's not smooth today, but it's always been something we've had to work through. But Jesus is clear it's one flock. He's making that point here. Let's look at 17 and 18. I love this too, and this should put you at peace. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And boy, I'm here, we can celebrate here. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Somebody say amen. Anybody remember when, when he brings this up again? <clears throat> to Pilate. He brings this up to Pilate again. When Pilate tries to give this speech about how powerful he is. And how he need, Jesus needed to get his act together and talk to him because Pilate had the authority to decide whether he was going to live or die. Jesus quotes this. No, no. I will lay down my life. You have no authority over me. The only authority you have right now is for a moment that's been allowed by my Father, but I will, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord, and I will raise it up again. And do you love this? This charge I receive from my Father. You know what he's saying? It's going to happen. My Father gave me this charge, and this is what we're going to do. But you know what? This is what you got to love. Listen, this is important. You know what Jesus is saying? I'm in control the whole way. I'm not frantic about this. I'm not wondering what's going to happen. Everything that's going to happen, I will control the entire time. And I do it because I love you. I will lay down my life for you. And I will raise it up again. And I do it of my own accord. Meaning, I'll go to the cross, what? When I'm told to. And I'll go to the cross when I decide to go. You know, one of the most beautiful things you'll see in some of the, you know, we try to think about what happened, and you've seen this even in the Passion of the Christ, the thing that I love, and, and it's subtle, but pay attention the next time you watch it, they don't have to throw Jesus down on the cross. He lays down. You know why? This is what he's supposed to do. And, and he, he's, in, he, he's in control of this the whole way to the cross. Look at 19 through 21. 
There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. There's a shocker. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? See, that's back to the signs again. Every single time that Jesus would say something, he's, John is documenting, and so are the other Gospels, and we should not be surprised. Guess what? What we believe and what we are told to preach is and will always be divisive. Rick, why do, you, why do you say that? Well, do we not end? Do we not come out of the red words and then go to the black words? And what do we always hear? There were division among the people. So why are we shocked when there's division among the people? There always will be until this thing is redeemed. Until this world is redeemed and, every, and, and the sheeps are separated from the goats, there's always going to be division among the people. Rick, what happened? Well... I got up and I said what Jesus said to say and I stayed theologically sound and I stayed in the Word of God. Well, how did it go? Some people got mad. Did everybody get mad? No, not everybody got mad. Some people actually, were, their hearts were pierced and they were, they, they, they were redeemed, I guess. I mean, they, they said they were and we'll see. If, if they really did what they said they did, they'll be changed forever. So when, when, when we say about Jesus and we, and we hold, why do you think Jesus is so divisive? He says he is. Why, why is he divisive? Exclusivity. I am the way. There are no other ways. We don't want to go through that gate. Well, then you'll die. Who are you to say you're the only gate? I am. What do you mean I am? Before Abraham, I am. So, so Rick, are there, are there many ways to heaven? There aren't. Really, I, I really don't like that. I'm sorry, shouldn't you be kind of fired up that there is one way that everybody can enter? Remember the, I told you the, the conversation I had with the, the agnostic? He said, I just don't, I, you mean, I, I, can't, I can't serve a God that if I don't believe what he wants me to believe, he's going to send me to hell? And I said, well, then you don't know the God I'm talking about. The God I serve is actually delivering people from hell. Anybody. Not just some people. Anybody. Anybody who wants to be redeemed, guess what? Will be. Anybody. And that's offensive. It always is, isn't it? Because somebody says, well, that's not the way I want to do it. You know what they're really saying is, I, I don't really have a problem with that, but I get the sense that you know deep down, because your flesh starts fighting, when that spirit starts to burn a little bit, you know what the first thing that flesh will start doing? Fighting for its life. You know what the flesh is screaming? If you believe this, it's going to kill me. But see, if you'll just submit yourself to Jesus, repent and turn to Jesus, when you start experiencing how wonderful he is, you really don't mind that he's exclusive. What we should be mad about is if somebody says, I don't know how you get to heaven. What? I don't know. There might be tons of ways. Which one's right? I don't know. I kind of like that there's one truth. Maybe that's just how I work, but, but at least I know, what I, I know the deal now. And I might reject it, but I certainly can understand it. And so there was division among the people. Remember, the, the people who opposed him, but what do we hear again? There's other people saying, I don't know. I mean, if you look at what he's doing, I don't think we can throw him under a demon oppressed. You know, this guy was blind, and, and he's healed him. So then Jesus, when we get to 22, 23, and at the time of the Feast of Dedication... It took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. And, and it says that, um, uh, and all I'm going to tell you this, the, the feast, is, is it's, it's just simply, John uses these feasts. I'm not going to land here because we're running out of time. But just know when he keeps bringing these feasts up, they're important, but he's trying to give us a chronological sense. If you go back through history, it really just helps you determine what time of year it was. So, so, so he says the feast is just trying to show us um, that, that not only what time it is, but these feasts also point that Jesus is going to fulfill every single feast, by the way. He'll, he'll, he'll fulfill every one of them, what they mean. It's winter, we know this. So that, that means that he was indoors, he was not out in the open. That's why he tells us he was in the colonnade. So look at 24. So in 24, so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. They want a straight answer, 
He has spoken plainly. This is the thing that, that you have to think about. If you go and look at Jesus talking to individuals, he does speak very plainly to them. Woman at the well tells, tells them who he is. But when we get in these group settings, have you ever noticed Jesus will not give them what they want? Why? Well, you have to know in this time, what they want him to do is say he's Messiah. And Jesus is, no, is too wise for that. Because in that time, Messiah was grossly misunderstood. And what he's trying not to do is to fall into their trap because if he would just say, you know, straightforward, I'm going to confirm this word, you know, Messiah, in, in the Jewish environment of the time, it really had more political and military connotations than spiritual. And he knew this. They're trying to get him to say it. So they say, whoa, this guy's going to lead a rebellion, which they eventually do. This guy's going to lead a rebellion against the, the Roman Empire. He's too smart for that. So, so he, he, he was avoiding the confusion. And of course, another reason is what? He's going to do what the Father says to do. He's, he's on his own timeline. He's not going to be forced into a timeline. He's on his, phone, his, his, his own timeline. I love this, though. Look at 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. I've been telling you who I am, and you're not listening. He's almost like you're asking for an answer that I've already given you. The words that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. Hey, I spoke plainly. I did tell you. You would misunderstand me if I'll say the word you want me to say. You will not embrace a suffering servant you will, or a kingdom that wasn't immediately political or military. Bottom line, he had told them who he was and the way he wanted to tell them so they wouldn't go political and they wouldn't go military. And he says, and you reject that. I've already told you. But you, don't, you want to hear it a certain way, but I'm not going to give it to you that way. And then he says 26 and 27, look at that. You don't know me because you reject me. Let me tell you why you can't understand what I'm saying. You don't belong to me. You rejected me as the shepherd. You rejected me for who I am. And, the, and, the more, and let me tell you this, guys. Look at me. If you don't accept Jesus for who he is and you don't understand who he is, you can't hear him. I spent a large part of my life being having a demonic faith. I believed the, 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 the historical you know, uh, documentation of Jesus, but I didn't know him. So I couldn't hear him. So, so I lived a life of confusion. And when I finally submitted to him as the shepherd and as my Lord and as my authority, man, then I could hear him. 28. He's telling them why they can't hear him. I give them eternal life and they never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. He gives his sheep eternal life, water, bread, light, good pasture, etc. And what he's saying is, once you become one of my sheep, I'm the kind of shepherd that can't nobody get you. Now, does that mean bad things won't happen to you? That's not what he's talking about. He means, I give you, what he say? I give them eternal life. And nobody can take your eternal life from you. They can take your earthly life from you. You know, Paul was aware of that. They all were aware of that. But, but they can't take the eternal life from you. 29 and 30. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch him out of the Father's hand. And I and the Father am one. The Father and I are one. No one is stronger than the Father. I like that. Jesus even clarifying the reason why they can't be snatched away is because guess who I am? I'm the Father. Y'all see me here as 100% man, as 100% God, but you don't miss the 100% God part. I belong to the Father, and the Father's stronger than anything that can come against you. What is it Paul says in Romans chapter 8? If God is for us, who can be against us? Right? And that's what Jesus is saying right here. Look, if they belong to the Father, good luck to you. You ain't never going to get them. You won't get their eternal life. Man, isn't, does that make y'all feel as good as it does me right now? So 31, 32, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. Remember that. If you tell the truth, people will pick up stones against you. And then they said this. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. Of which of them are you going to stone me for? I love that. Here comes shut up juice from Jesus. The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. He said, what law have I broken? I haven't broken any law. 
He said, I'm not a man claiming to be God. <laughs> I love this. I'm a man who is God. So your law won't, won't hold up against me. Y'all can only go after people that claim to be God that aren't really God. I haven't broken the law because when I claim to be God, I'm telling the truth. I really am God. Somebody say amen to that. In human form, he's the son of God, but he is the son of man. How beautiful is that? 34 through 38, we're getting close to the end. Stay with me now, we're almost done. Jesus answered them, it is, not written, is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? And I'll tell you where that comes from. If he called them God's to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, so he's using it all against them. I love how he's using this. And then he goes on to say, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said I'm the son of God. Listen to this. If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe in me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. If you have your Bible, write this down. Psalms 82, six. This is what Jesus is talking about. He said, look now, now Psalms 82, six. You see that in Psalms 82, 6, there's an interesting uh, uh, phrase that is used here concerning people. And it's little g, of course. And uh, look at verse 6 of 82. I said, you are God's sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, this is 7, you shall die and, and fall like a prince. Look at, look at 8. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit uh, all the nations. He said, now look, you can go to Psalms and see that God's addressing the judges and he says to them because of him putting them in those positions, they're gods. And, and they, they, they were given responsibility and then they failed and they died. But scripture cannot be broken and it cannot be annulled. And he said it can't be set aside because of the moment. So who, who the Father set apart as His very own and then sent into the world, Jesus' entire mission is to come and then to live out and show who He is, to go to the cross, rise from the dead, be glorified. And the Feast of Dedication that was happening at this time, the Feast of Dedication, guess what the dedication is all about? The sanctification of the temple. And so what Jesus is saying is, you are speaking to me on the Feast of Dedication. I am the temple. I am going to be sanctified. And, and, and how about this? I and the Father are one. And what, what I'm saying to you is, is making you angry. He said, and the reason why it's making you angry is you hadn't even thought through the accusation you're making against me. And it's an accusation because of the truth about me you can't even make. And I mean, he's blowing their minds. He is completely blowing their minds. Look at 39. And again, they sought to arrest him. But he escaped from their hands. Why? Not his time. I got three minutes on the clock, but we cannot miss this. You think I'm done, but this is, we got something to go out on that's going to be a challenge to all of us. Look at 40 through 42. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John, John the Baptist, had been baptizing at first in there he remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign. Listen to me. Don't miss this. But everything that John said about this man was true and many believed in him. They couldn't grab him. He gave them shut up juice it, with their own scripture. They couldn't grab him. He goes back to where John the Baptist, who's going to lay down the path for him, began. And guess what people were saying? Hey, John the Baptist must have been right. Think about this. John the Baptist prepared the way at the beginning to prepare for the end, meaning Jesus now starts there with John preparing the way. He returns to where it began to get to the end, which we're going. And here comes the part we need to apply to ourselves. Because I know Jesus is a high standard. Okay? And we're never going to see on this side of heaven perfection, but we ought to be seeing progress. But let me tell you who was just a man, John the Baptist. And listen to what they said about what they're saying about John. John never did a sign, he never did a miracle. John's greatness consists of his faithfulness, his clarity, and his veracity of the witness of Jesus. So what would his epitaph read? All that John said about Jesus must have been true.
and many believed. Why are they believing? Because of John and what he said about Jesus. It just all came together. John has been so committed to this, his veracity, his clarity, his faithfulness to this. May it be said about you, and may it be said about me, I doubt, seriously, that God's ever going to, probably ever for any of us, for one of you to come in here sick and me lay hands on you, and you be blind and you see. That's probably not going to happen. But let me tell you what's available to me, even if God doesn't make that available to me. For me to be so faithful to Jesus Christ, for me to have so much clarity about my devotion to Jesus Christ and who He is, and for me to have such veracity about the truthness and the redemption found in Jesus Christ, that people believed in Jesus just because of what I said about Him. That that pointed them to Jesus, and when they encountered Him, you know what they say? Everything that Rick said about Jesus must be true. I didn't save Him. John the Baptist didn't save Him. But our devotion to Jesus may get them saved. So would people look into your life and would they look at mine and say, put your name right here, whatever blank said about Jesus, that must be true. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time today. Thank you for this incredible message. The first one, Lord, that we've gotten together uh, as our group, individually, we've been with you even on the break, but this is our first time to get back together. And for those that are watching and listening, if those of us in the room, if there's any doubt in our mind that we are your sheep, if there's any doubt in our mind that we can hear your voice, that we rectify that right now in this moment. We say, Lord Jesus, I submit myself to you. I repent of my sin and I acknowledge you as my Lord and my shepherd. Lord, I know that you love me and thank you for laying down your life for me. Now you teach me to love you by letting me through the Holy Spirit hear your voice. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Y'all have a great day. Welcome back. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies, or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.